Uh, welcome to First Alliance on this Memorial Day weekend. I, would, I believe what that video expressed. We owe a debt of gratitude for those men and women that have served uh, in the military and any, any branch of the military. So I just wonder if you have served, if you're a veteran, would you just stand You know, it, it's easy to forget. You know, it's, it's easy to, to wake up on Sunday morning and realize, oh, I can go to church, or I don't, uh, maybe I don't want to go to church. Or, and, and we fail to realize that there are places around the world that would love to have the blessings and the privileges that, that are bestowed upon us each and every week. And it didn't come without a price. Freedom is not free, never has been. It's something that you fight for. You have to be diligent to keep and retain. And the number one enemy of freedom is not tyranny, but it's forgetfulness, that you forget where you came from. In 1890, October 28th, it was right 1891, in the early morning hours, Japan had an 8.5 earthquake. It was the largest earthquake on record to that time. It lasted three times longer than most earthquakes. And I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake, but they are greater than an uh, e-ticket at Disneyland. Uh, we, we moved to California in, in uh, the same year they had the Loma Prieta earthquake, and uh, it was fun. Uh, and then I moved here, and we have a hurricane. <laughs> so I just don't want to go any place that they have uh, typhoons, and we'll be okay. So in, but in 1891, October 28th, Japan had this massive earthquake. The land shifted in places up to 10 feet. Can you imagine? Houses, villages disappeared. Over 7,000 people lost their lives. It was in the infancy of, of Morse code and, and transatlantic telecommunication or communication and America received a message from Japan, help. And America did. America responded in such an amazing way that it, it was an equivalent to today's dollars of close to $1 billion in relief. Poured money, poured whatever we had to help Japan. And in response, the, uh, the Leaders and the emperor of Japan wrote America a letter, President Harrison, and said, America, we will not forget. America, we will not forget. 
And yet, some 50 years later, on December 7, 1941, Japan forgot. See, forgetting where we come from and forgetting where uh, what has taken place for us is essential. It's rather remembering where we came from is essential to helping us keep what we have. See, most societies, they, they build memorials as a way to remember what has happened or what has taken place. If you go to Hawaii and you, there's a, a monument, a memorial at Pearl Harbor, we were there a few years ago, and, and when you walk through it, to be honest, it will bring tears to your eyes. It's just so moving and overwhelming. And yet, when you walk through, surprising to me, there were as many Japanese visiting as there were Americans visiting. And we had one thing in common. When we walked out on the other side, everyone was wiping tears. Because no one wanted to forget. So most societies, they, they bring these memorials, and it's a way to remember. And the goal of these, remor uh, these memorials is to help future generations, not the ones that live through it, but future generations, to not make the same mistakes as the ones before. Winston Churchill, uh, borrowing some words from George Santayana, said, that those that do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. And I found that true in my own life, and I found it true uh, in society, and, and Scripture even focuses on this. Scripture gives us examples or memorials throughout uh, the book, and it tells us, here's the things that you need to remember so you don't fall into the same pattern if you don't fall into the same destruction that previous generations did. He, the Scripture gives us these, these memorials so we will know what is right and we know not to mis make the same mistakes. There's a great blessing in being one of the youngest siblings of, of a large family because I watched my older brothers and sisters make a lot of mistakes and I just took a mental note, don't do that, don't get caught. It's important. In our scripture reading today, in, in the uh, book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the church was struggling with some issues of life. It seems that as you read through the passage of scripture that, that some in the church believed that because they had been baptized and because that they are, were partakers in communion, that that made them immune to the temptations of life. That they no longer had to worry about the temptations of life. And, and I believe that sometimes that's a side effect of a, of a clear conscience. The book of Hebrews tells us that when that we're sprinkled, our consciences are sprinkled when we receive Christ and that, that we no longer have that, that guilt of sin. We, we used to sing a song many years ago, I remember when my burdens rolled away. 
And it's just simply implying that when Christ removes the guilt and the sin, that you're free, because whoever the Son sets free is truly free. And we not only are not credited with those sins, but the very guilt and the stain of sin is removed as well. It's amazing. That's why we can boldly walk into the throne of grace and we can say today there's no condemnation because Christ not only takes the sin, he takes the guilt of sin away. A side effect is that sometimes we forget. We forget where the Lord brought us from. And in our scripture today, it was the church in Corinth that was struggling, and they were living for the moment, and they had little regard for the future. They were living for the here and now, and, and their focus was on the temporal and not on the eternal, and, and they were struggling, and as a consequence, they and their church were wrestling with issues that they should have had victory over. Have you ever felt that way? I have some great news for you today. Are you ready for this? Everybody loves great news, right? This is great news. And it's no, it's not because it's going to be a short sermon. Okay? That is good news. The great news is simply this. When Christ sets you free, you're truly free. And if there's any issue in your life that you're struggling with or wrestling with, you can have victory and deliverance over that today. Because whoever the Son sets free is truly free. It doesn't matter if it is a physical, emotional, spiritual need, Christ can set you free. He delights in setting us free. He wants to set us free. But we need to rest on Him. Paul reminded the, the church in, in, in Corinth, the 1 Corinthians 10, 6, he said, Now these things occurred as examples or as a memorial for you, so that you wouldn't have to repeat the same things that, that they repeated. You don't have to make the same mistakes as the children of Israel did when they were brought out of Egypt and they had walked through the Red Sea. And, and Paul said that was somewhat like baptism, that they were baptized and they were following and... and you don't have to suffer the same penalty they did. They, they were baptized. They ate and drank spiritual food. And yet they rebelled against God and God overthrew them. Because somewhere down the line, after being led out of Egypt and walking through the Red Sea and, and doing all of these amazing things for them, somewhere down the line they decided that they would rather chart their own course and live their own life. And they forgot that they couldn't do that on their own in Egypt. So what made them think that they could do it in the wilderness. Are you with me? See, sometimes we, I think, sometimes I think that because Christ has, has, has saved me and pardoned me and forgiven me, that, that everything that I can tar start taking my, my life in my own hands and I can kind of chart my own course. And, it, and it's really not that way. If I'm going to trust Him for my salvation, should I not trust Him? with every aspect of my life. 
That's what the Lord is, is looking for, and that's what Paul is trying to express to the church in Corinth is, is they were forfeiting the blessings of God following what they believed was right and not doing what the Lord had asked them to do. I know many friends in, in my own life that they love the Lord, and, and I've watched how the Lord has, has brought them and given them e, uh, eternal life, and, and they have followed the Lord. But somewhere down the line, they, they started living life for themselves, and they weren't necessarily doing anything bad, but they weren't doing necessarily what the Lord had asked them to do. And, and, and it's one of those long crops that takes a long time for it to produce. The children of Israel didn't fall overnight. It's, it's easy, it's easy to forget if we don't have a memorial in our life to remind us that we didn't get here on our own. My father-in-law had a great statement. He said, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself. There was probably some 10-year-old boy having a great time. And that's what, that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. They, they had forgotten, and, and, and they were falling back into some issues that they should have had victory over. See, and here's the real reason why they were struggling is when they went through the Red Sea and, 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 and the Egyptians tried to follow them, the Lord just took care of the Egyptians, and Israel thought, hey, our enemies drowned, our enemies defeated, our enemy can't follow us. But they failed to realize that the Egyptians were really not the enemy. The enemy went through the Red Sea with them. See, your greatest enemy is not the, the devil, and it's not the circumstances you find yourself in. Your greatest enemy is the same greatest enemy that I have. It's the person you look at every single morning in the mirror. Our greatest enemy is self. Your greatest enemy has always been and will always be your carnal nature until the Lord comes back. The real enemy is of our soul is ourself. See, so everything that we do that's a rebellious act against God always comes from in here. Jesus said it's not the things that come into the body that defile the person, but it's the things that come out of the body. It's, it's those things that are on here. And Israel's true enemy wasn't, wasn't drowned in the Red Sea. It had followed them from Egypt, and it was in the wilderness with them. It was the carnal nature that tried to, to continue to move against the things of God. And here's the reason why, because the carnal nature cannot understand the things of God. We cannot live for our carnal nature. We must live according to the Spirit. Here's what Paul said. He said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Isn't that amazing? What wretched man I am. He understood the concept that the wrestling that he had, the struggling that he had was not the outside. See, the adversary can only tempt you. He can't make you do anything. 
He couldn't make Adam do anything. He couldn't make Eve do anything. The adversary is a tempter. He tries and tempts you, and, he, and he's really good at it. But our real enemy is ourself, and ourself always gets us in trouble when we begin to follow after what we think is right, and we don't follow the Word of God. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, 2, he said, meanwhile, while we're waiting on the Lord, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And this is a, a, a thought, this is Paul's desire in his life that he was longing to be clothed with that new body. What does that mean? That simply means that new body that Christ had promised us. And you say, well, it's, it's going to be eternal and it's never going to get tired. And I love all of that stuff, don't you? And never have to sleep. It's like, wow, you're going to be like an eternal three-year-old, man. It's going to be great. Uh, we're going to have so much energy. We're going to run. It's, it's going to be amazing. But here's the great thing about, about that new body. That new body is not going to have a carnal nature. I want you to think about that for a moment. You say, well, you'll never have a bad thought. No, you won't. Can you imagine... Can you imagine always thinking the right thought? Always thinking the best of somebody? Always being encouraging and uplifting and positive? Wow. No more road rage? If it was ever going to tempt us, that would be it. Wow. Paul said... Man, if, if you want to overcome this enemy, then, then man, start longing for that, that new one. Start thinking about that new one. Because what happens is when you think about the new one compared to the one we have now, you kind of see the difference and you think, oh man, I don't want to have that attitude. I, I think I can rise above that attitude. If Christ says to love and, and I'm not loving, well, maybe I should just start following what the Lord wants. See, our stance is one of waiting for that new life. He goes on to say in 2 Peter says this, those through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you realize that everything that is bad in the world is caused by evil desires? And yet we get to escape it. How? Through partaking of the divine nature. In other words, let me, let me phrase it this way. That same spirit which dwells in you, which dwelled in Christ, that same spirit that you received when you received Christ, that's the divine nature. The scripture tells us that if the same spirit which dwelled in Christ dwells in you, it shall quicken you or make you alive at his second coming. Let me phrase that again. That if you die... Before the Lord comes back, when the trumpet sounds, it's not going to be your own strength, your own power, your own wisdom, your own might, your own intellect that will rise you from the grave. It's the divine nature that Christ has given you that's implanted in your spirit. And if you have that spirit in you, when the trumpet sounds, you will arise from the grave. We are partakers of the divine nature. In a week and a half, I'm going to be a partaker 
of one of the greatest meals Thanksgiving has ever seen. <laughs> and I am going to eat so much that I'm going to wobble. And then as soon as I can, I'm going to go back for more. I'm going to be a partaker. I want to be a glutton for Jesus. But here's the truth. We're partakers of the divine nature. How much of that divine nature are you partaking of? A little bit? A lot? Are you partaking of that divine nature for every aspect of your life? Or just some? You say, well, is that possible? Absolutely it is. We, we call it surrendering our life to the Lord or however, whatever terminology that we used as, as you were growing up in whatever church you grew up in. It's the same concept that we surrender our life to the Lord in every aspect, in every way. And what we're really doing is we're surrendering ourselves, we're participating in the divine nature. We're doing what the Lord wants us to do over what we think we should do participating in the divine nature. And how do we do that? Ephesians 6.10. Finally. I love that. Finally. Finally. He's going to quit preaching. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I want you to look at that for a minute because right after this is the great passage of Scripture that we all probably memorize, putting on the whole armor of God, Right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I want you to look at that because it's really, it, it's passive. It's second person passive. It simply means when anything is passive, it means that you're receiving. When, it, when it's active, you're doing the giving. He's saying receive the Lord's strength and receive the Lord's power. Notice you can't be strong in the Lord under your own strength. You cannot be strong in the Lord with your own power because we don't have the strength nor the power nor the intellect to overcome our own self. So we have to rely on Christ. We receive the Lord's strength and we receive the Lord's power. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. First, we walk in the Lord's strength and authority. It's the Lord's strength and not our own. And we walk in His strength by placing our body under Christ's authority. There are, and how do we do that? Well, there's two ways. One, through the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. I believe the entire Bible, Genesis, all the way through the maps. I, I, I believe it all. I, 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 I want to follow it all. I trust it. It's the only thing that we have for our faith and our salvation. It's the Word of God. It's living and it's alive, and, and it will transform your life. And you say, well, I don't know if it will transform my life. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to dare you. I'm going to double-dog dare you today to, to take the Word of God, and for 30 days, here's what I want you to do. For 30 days, the very first thing I want you to do every morning is open up the Word of God and begin to read it. And the last thing to do at night 
not, not watch a, a show or anything like that, but open your Bible and just read. Just read five minutes, ten minutes. If you begin your day with reading the Word of God and you end your day with the Word of God, by day three or day four, you're going to start feeling this strength in your spirit that you have never felt before. And if you begin to read the Word of God and hide it in your heart and put it in your life and then begin to act on what the Word of God says, you're allowing the Lord's strength to be your strength. You're not trusting in your own ways. You're trusting in His. So you place your body under Christ's authority by living the Word of God and, and by developing a relationship with Him through prayer. Prayer is essential. Prayer is one of those amazing things that anybody can do. Anybody can pray. And you say, well, I, I, I'm not a great orator. And I, Have you ever heard one of those guys or, or ladies that could really pray? Oh, man, they sounded great. They should, they should take their prayers and put them on Hallmark cards. They'd make a million dollars. I mean, just one of those amazing prayers. I'm more of the guy that's over there in the corner saying, help me, Jesus. Just help me, Lord. But you know which one's more effective? They both are. The Lord gives us the opportunity to pray. Prayer is amazing. Prayer transforms us. Prayer is the is the thing that we do when we, when we get in connection with the Lord and, and we begin to talk with Him. Prayer helps us to walk with the Lord in faith. When you begin to get in prayer and all of a sudden everything around you is, is inconsequential and, and you just focus on Him and you realize 20, 30 minutes have gone by and, and you're just focused on the Lord and you're not just telling Him your, your, your Christmas list of everything you need but you're just talking to him and you're telling him how much you love him and, and he's talking to you because prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And when we begin to walk in his strength by surrendering our life and, and following the word of God and, and digging deep into prayer, we begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's never easy. I'm, I'm here to say it's not easy because the things of God are not the things of man. And why, the way God thinks is not the way that we think. And, and when God asks us to do something, your carnal mind is not going to want to do it. It's not even going to see that it's worth it. But if you take that giant step of faith and says, I want to do this, but I'm going to do that. I want to honk at this person that just cut me off and give them a piece of my mind. But instead, I'm going to pray for them that they learn how to drive. <laughs> and when you, when you choose God's way over our way, amazing things begin to happen. Let me tell you a story, true story. Sister Bailey. This is back in the days when everybody was brother or sister in church. It was really great. You didn't have to remember anybody's names. If you didn't remember somebody, you say, hey, brother, how are you? It was great. Then, then they started developing this relational 
Christianity, and you have to memorize names, and it's really hard. But Sister Bailey followed the Lord. She loved the Lord. She had three children. Her and her husband had three children. The youngest one had Down syndrome. When all three children were young, her husband ran off with his secretary. Did not pay child support. Did not do anything for her. And she had to struggle and wrestle with feelings of hatred, contempt, bitterness. But Sister Bailey said, you know, my carnal mind says I'm going to go this way. But the Spirit says, love those that despitefully use you. And she chose to follow and submit her will and her life to the Lord. And in place of all of the things of this world, the anger and the bitterness and the jealousy and the resentment and all of those things that create all these negative emotions in our life, she began to follow the Lord and and began to give her life to the Lord. And the Lord gave her beauty for ashes. He gave her such a beautiful, loving, kind spirit. She understood what it really was to love. To really love. To not just say everything's fine, but to really love. For a few years later, five, six, seven years later, I can't remember, it's in that time frame. In a church service, when the pastor gave an invitation... The lady, the secretary that her husband had ran off with, walked down to the front and began to weep, kneeling and crying, asking the Lord to forgive her. And in such deep agony, she just kind of fell backwards into the lady's arms that was praying for her, which was Sister Bailey. She was the one that was praying for the lady that had helped destroy her life. And you'd say, well, there has to be a better ending. The Lord brought some knight in shining armor to her life and everything else. No. That didn't happen. In fact, she lived the rest of her days single. She has now passed. But all three of her children are passionate followers of Jesus Christ because they saw a person that had submitted to the will of the Lord and began to follow. Because she looked at the greatest memorial that has ever been given and it's not anything made with man called the cross the cross that Christ died upon if you ever want a memorial in your life to remember I need to follow him look to the cross
Would you stand with me? I want to ask you a, a question today. It's a rhetorical question, so please don't a, uh, reply. And you say, well, why would you say that? Because I've had replies. Are you wrestling with something in your life? Are, are you a follower of the Lord? And yet there's an area of your life that, man, you, you just want to see change. You want to see it transformed. Can I encourage you to be strong in the Lord and in His power? To not follow your ways but trust His the Scripture is plain. The Scripture is true. The Scripture is real. I have never seen God let anyone down. You can stand upon the Word of God. If you're here today and you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, I know one thing about you. You are trusting in the Word of God for your salvation. You heard that Christ died for your sins, and if you ask Him to forgive you, then He will. And you did that. You bowed your knee and you bowed your heart and said, Lord, I'm all in on this. I trust you. There is no other way to salvation but through you. And that's where you are. Can I ask you a question? If you're going to trust Him for your salvation, for the eternal life, can't we trust Him to guide us in this 